Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Jones Sport Time. We're Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by Taryn Gregson. Uh, she will be here from We Are the Patriots USA, uh, former host and reporter covering the PGA Tour. Now she is out and uh, telling her story, how uh, she's battled back against cancel culture and uh, is uh, standing up for herself after she was fired by the PGA Tour for not getting vaccinated and what she's doing next. We'll have an in-depth discussion with uh, Taryn when she joins us coming up later on. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advice. Regroup with the uh, latest headlines going on uh, after the NFL draft and more. And then uh, we'll also have our Tom Fuglery story of the week coming up at the end of today's show. Thomas Bridges out this week. He's asleep somewhere. And uh, we are joined by uh, Jose Soto, a contributor here at Studio Soapbox. Uh, you've heard him before, and he's back with us again. And we'll uh, be hanging out in Tulsa next week at the uh, Live Golf event. And he joins us right now. Jose, welcome back. How you doing, my friend? Uh, hola. Happy early Cinco de Mayo to you. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Early Cinco de Mayo for you, to you too, my friend. I uh, hope you're able to get a margarita after those uh, – Long NFL draft talks on chat sports. I need it, amigo. I definitely do. Um, yeah, yeah. What what's the what, what's the best margarita? You and I have had some margaritas over the years. What's the best way to consume a marg? Man, that's a that's a good one. Um, I mean, the only way to consume one is uh, you get one of those big like group ones. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but there's yeah. there's some places that serve where you you need like six people and it's it's a huge margarita and it's man it's you'd be surprised like how much how much alcohol is in that. <laughs> you, <laughs> definitely you gotta bring you gotta bring your friends for sure if you're gonna order one of those but i think that'd be a good way to pregame if you're gonna hit up any spots for cinco de mayo you know grab your buddies and get one of those big margaritas so uh jose the for me the, there's two things i i'd that come to mind here. Uh, my my favorite margarita, if I'm going on the rocks, get me a nice mezcal margarita. Uh, that's the move for me. And then if I'm going with a frozen margarita, I'm not I'm not complicated. Uh, I just need a lime margarita with some good tequila. I think that makes a big difference. The the very good tequila from the 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 cheap stuff. I I think there's a noticeable difference there. Oh, definitely. You got You can't go bottom shelf, man. If if you go bottom shelf, you're gonna be feeling it the next day. I uh, I had a margarita actually recently within the last month here locally, and they put a, a bunch of tamarind candy, like it's Mexican candy that you know I grew up eating. It's pretty good, uh, but in in the actual margarita, like there's a tamarindo uh, like straw, like where you can drink out of, and then uh, it was a mango margarita though which we okay. call is a mangonada and it has like tahini on the top it was mixed mixed with some chamoy and, and swirled on the inside it was man it was really delicious it was really good you got to have that tahini oh you got to man around the rim you know instead of salt if you can get some tahini over the rim man that's you know you're in the right spot way better than salt way better than sugar gotta have the tahini mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, since I've come to Texas, and I can't believe I never had this in Oklahoma uh, when I lived there, but the thing that's changed me, it, it's like the cousin of the margarita. Ranch water has been my go-to drink. 
<laughs> ranch water, huh? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't had a ranch water in a hot minute, but dude, I, with the Topo Chicos, man, yes. it's yeah, that's they that's sell solid. out of Topo Chico in the grocery stores here in Texas. <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's a bestseller, huh? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure they're sold out right now because of the weekend coming up with Cinco de Mayo, too. <laughs> yes. Tapo Chico is in hot demand. And if if you go to a place and order a ranch water and they don't bring you Tapo Chico, there's usually an outrage. Oh, that's that's against the law, man. Straight to jail. <laughs> that's the thing you to go. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> so, so a little backstory for the folks out there. Um, when uh, when my time was wrapping up in Omaha, uh, I remember I, I went out with Jose one night in Tulsa, back home, and I tried to order a Fireball and Dr Pepper, and Jose's like, "What the hell are you doing here? Like, you're you're not 21 anymore. You, you don't want to be drinking Fireball." And, and said, no, 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 you're, you're not doing this. Uh, no more of that. What, what I want now, now that, you know, I, I think I was what, 25, 24. Now I'm 26, yep. about to turn 27. Um, do, do we consider that progress uh, of me going to ranch water now? Is, is that a step in the right direction? I think it is, Jones. <laughs> I was, uh, when, when you told me, when I asked you, hey, what do you want me to get you? And you said, hey, give me a, Dr. Pepper uh, Fireball, and I was like, wait, what? Come again? And you're like, Dr. Pepper Fireball. I was like, I am not about to ask this this, this bartender We're at a Fireball nice place, and too. Dr. Pepper. Yeah, like, <laughs> come on, like, get, get yourself, I don't know, like, uh, some on the rocks, like a whiskey on the rocks. Uh, I think I, I, I recommended a Moscow Mule wouldn't be bad. But you know what, Ranch Water – I like it. I let it slide. You know, it's in with the times. A lot of people are using it, you know, or ordering it. So you won't look weird ordering uh, ranch water anywhere, but you may look weird asking for a fireball Dr. Pepper. That's just, <laughs> I don't know. That's just some, uh, man. <laughs> what, what I have been, I, I do from time to time. I learned this one from uh, from Alex Bennett uh, from, uh, from Barstool. Uh, I, I met her a couple of times and, and we talked about this. Uh, she she started it and became kind of a trend of some sorts of uh of going with uh the uh what's that what's that 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 caramel the uh, the the whiskey uh oh uh, screwball what? and Dr Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> I told Jose that I, he said hell no no of that either. Oh, absolutely not. I, I've never heard of such thing until you brought it up. I was like. I'm gonna look like a a, a, a screwball myself, <laughs> like just that, ordering that. Like, I don't know if they'll know what I what I want if I tell them, "Hey, I want this." They'll probably look at me funny. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. So uh, no, no. If I'm around Jose, I got I got to be you know act a little ma- mature. You know, no uh no screwball and fireball anymore. <laughs> it it is uh or, or you know fireball Dr Pepper. I will say though. Um, when I interviewed for the job at Chat Sports, um, this was it within weeks of Jose shutting down, telling me I couldn't drink Fireball and Dr. Pepper anymore. <laughs> and I remember I interviewed for the job, and they asked me, well, what do you like to drink? And I said, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, I've been drinking, you know, try to drink more mature drinks like Jack and Crown, you know, and such. My, 
my buddies back home told me I'm too old to be drinking Fireball anymore. And they said, well, uh, that's that's a shame because you might have to drink Fireball for this job. And I said, well, you know what? If it's for my job, I I, I could make an exception. And then everything's been fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, then, and the rest has been uh, history, right? Now you're you're. And now, the chess now, Jose, I only drink fireball. fireball. I only drink fireball at work. <laughs> How many shots of fireball have you had since being there? <laughs> Too many. Too many. And, and you know what? You were, Jose, it worked because now I've drank enough of it at work. I have no desire, none whatsoever, to order fireball when I'm out in public. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> Who would have thought that would have been the best remedy for you to get away from fireball in public? <laughs> Drink more of it. <laughs> Drink more of it. And I'm like, hell no. I'm not drinking fireball outside of work. No more. None. Oh, that's awesome. That is I will awesome. say, I was telling Tom this last week while, while we're talking alcohol here before we get to the business of the day. Uh, Jose, uh, the last place I visited in Talladega off the Boulevard, I was meeting with a sponsor friend of David's, and they sent me home with apple pie moonshine that was homemade that this guy made, and I snuck it in my check luggage. It was definitely over the legal limit of alcohol that was allowed in my check luggage. I probably shouldn't say this after I just got approved for TSA PreCheck, too, but <laughs> who cares? Uh, and it securely made it in my check luggage back to Dallas. And it's fantastic. <laughs> man, if we're talking about alcohol sneaking in, man, I'll I'll tell you what. Um I think I think you remember, but last year during that PGA, um we we snuck in a, a bottle full of uh vodka <laughs> in a water bottle. Oh, that's elite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We because uh, they they allow a bottle of water to be sealed, and we were able to uh, kind of through YouTube. You can find everything on YouTube, but you uh, <clears throat> the way you, it showed a process, and it was kind of finicky and and honestly probably not worth the time. But um, just kind of was was curious if the if it would work, and sure enough, it worked. Huh. You know, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's a story I have to tell you off air about uh, me uh, taking a, a drink of, of something uh, out of a water bottle last summer uh, that I did because because women, because why else that uh, resulted in me just being out cold by the pool for three hours, you know, just uh, too much, <laughs> too much ever clear or something, you know, but. You know um, how don't ever do Everclear. Uh, highly yeah. ever, if, if it's one alcohol besides Fireball to stay away, Everclear. Stay clear away. Well, you, you know how now how women can be, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Like, I was, uh, how, how do I say this? I, I was hypnotized, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes women get you to do crazy things, you know? And, and it, it, you wanted to see and feel something, and it probably wasn't worth it. But you know, <laughs> you paid for you paid the price the next day, didn't you? After I paid the price that, that day. yes, <laughs> I did. Oh gosh! And, but nonetheless, uh, Jose, we got uh, we got plenty to talk about on today's show. Uh, we mentioned Terry Gregson going to join us uh, coming up later, but 
want to talk about the NFL draft, uh, and then we'll talk some NBA playoffs and a couple other things here. But uh, but Jose, looking looking back at the NFL draft, we'll go in depth in this when uh, Coach Bo joins us coming up later. But I, I got to tell you, I mean, what an eventful couple of days. We saw the scenes in Kansas City. Uh, I wish I was there. I'll be honest; it, it hurt me not being there this past week. But I mean, it was just incredible the sights and sounds, the event that this has become. I think I heard there's NFL executives calling it the NFL's version of Coachella at this point. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a sight to behold there, and you know. With, with all that that transpired, we knew Bryce Young was going to go number one to Carolina. That wasn't a surprise. But then two with the Houston Texans, getting C.J. Stroud, which there were some doubts about, and then trading up to three and getting Will Anderson as well. This Texans team has been a laughing stock since Bill O'Brien took over as GM, and we know what happened when they blew that 28-3 lead against the Kansas City Chiefs in that playoff game. It's been horrible ever since. And this mm-hmm. was it, it felt like starting with the Texans, you want to look at winners of the draft, Jose. This is this feels like the first time I've talked about the Texans in a positive light in about four or five years. They knocked it out. They had a home run draft. They got their quarterback. They got the best defensive player in this draft as well. They got a great young head coach, I think, D'Amico Ryan's here. Um I mean, what what a what a night it was for for Houston to make that the statement that they did there with those first two picks. Yeah, you know, I was um, I was actually very surprised about the CJ Stroud pick. Uh, you know, I, I definitely thought that they would, but then I heard rumors about how I believe CJ Stroud being represented by the same agent as Watson, and you know that how that relationship turned out at the end. I was, you know, kind of thinking maybe they wouldn't go with C.J. Stroud, but I think C.J. Stroud's a pick. I mean, I think you have to go quarterback. You haven't really had a quarterback there, you know, to handle the position and since Watson, and it's been, you know, years ago for that. But the Will Anderson Jr. trade-up pick really surprised me. I thought, you know, I thought they might have traded too much to get him, in my opinion. I think it was – uh a future first round pick for next year's draft included. Yeah, and they gave up which, some day two picks as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean if I guess if you're gonna do it, you know, you gotta do it for the best defensive player of this year's draft and go and grab him, especially for, you know, head coach like D'Amico Ryan, you know, defense being his, you know, repertoire is is I'm sure he wanted someone at that anchor spot for the defense to lead the way in the future. So you know, good pickups for them, but you know, I just we'll see how fu- how the future plays out with that trade. Um, I think the Cardinals, you know, being able to kind of trade down and get that that uh, that future first round next year, I think is going to help them a lot in the future. Yeah, I think so. And you look at the Cardinals; I've seen multiple mock drafts that have them having the first and second overall pick in next year's draft, or maybe one in three, they're going to be in great position. And, you know, they're obviously in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes for next year as well. I know they already have Kyler Murray, but coming off the ACL, there's going to be questions about his future. At the very least, it puts them in a prime position next year, potentially get a really good trade package, even if they don't want Caleb Williams or not, if somebody else does. But nonetheless, uh, the Cardinals, what, what, what did surprise me with, with Arizona uh, trading down to six and kind of everybody else. We'll talk more about this with Bo later was, was just letting Jalen Carter slip up 
the way he did. Seattle saying no. Arizona saying no. Las Vegas saying no. Um, and then, you know, ultimately ending up with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles there. That, that, that was a guy, you know, if, if you're Arizona and, and where you were at in this draft, like, I understand you, you pocketed a pick for next year, but you had an opportunity to get a Will Anderson, to get a Jalen Carter, even a Tyree Wilson, and you didn't go with any of those guys. Yeah, you know, I think what their thought process is, is they need to get some help on the line. They need to protect Kyler Murray. Like you mentioned before, you know, having that ACL surgery, they got to make sure to bubble wrap him behind, you know, behind a good line. So, Paris Johnson's not a bad player, but I felt like they missed that opportunity on an elite playmaker. I agree. No, totally agree with that, man. That you know, I was surprised Jalen Carter's dropped all the way to nine. You know, there was there was potential between other teams above the you know snatch him, but man, isn't it just the rich get richer with with the Eagles getting Jalen Carter, and then later down the line, you know, they they picked up. Uh, the guy from uh, Georgia as well. What's his name? Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith, and they got Keely Ringo later. I mean, yeah, they loaded up, uh, and then and then they traded for Swift, right? Well, on top of that, so I mean, if if they can't win a Super Bowl in the next two years with with this kind of talent, man, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I, I give credit, Jose, to, to Howie Roseman. He's arguably the best GM in the National Football League. They paid Jalen Hurts that money, you know, a week or two ago. At the time, making him the highest-paid quarterback in the league. Now that's been passed up by Lamar. You you get that money to to Jalen. You have a great draft here. You get players that are going to make an immediate impact. I mean, and we saw even last year when they were wheeling and dealing towards the trade deadline. I love how aggressive – Howie is being in this win-now mode that that Philadelphia realizes they're in, taking advantage of the moment. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, and and you saw how the the Super Bowl played out. I mean, it could have gone either way as well there. They didn't lose because of their roster. They they lost because of some coaching decisions. Yeah, most definitely. So, I mean, I think the future looks bright in Philly. I think the next five years they got at least win one. Because, you know, here in five years, what's going to happen is all this good young talent is going to want to get paid and there isn't going to be enough mouths to feed. So, you know, there's not going to be enough money to go around. And I think that's whenever they'll hit a reset, maybe here in like five years. But they got to go win now. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, You know, we've talked about young Stroud. Anthony Richardson going to Indianapolis, I think he is a project, Jose. Uh, I'm not sold in Anthony Richardson, and what a bizarre situation. He won't necessarily have to play right away because they have Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles there, so he has time to to learn and you know how an NFL offense operates. But I mean, the Colts have no talent there. Their their GM Chris Ballard is awful. Um, their head coach, you know, I, I think Shane Steichen was a good hire, uh, you know, but we'll see, you know, he's still a rookie head coach and everything here. I mean, the, the only thing he's got going for them is, is, is Steichen potentially, but everything else, I, I mean, I feel bad for Anthony Richardson because it feels like that that situation is so bad. He's kind of set up to fail. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a sleeper pick. I feel like. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of things good about him. You know, about his potential. He's got. I think it's a risky pick. I think if if you're getting a quarterback, you know, right now I think the Colts. You know, obviously they're they're kind of hitting a reset. Um, you know, they still got Taylor as a running back, but you know, Taylor kind of is is hitting that that peak point of a running back's career. So I wouldn't be surprised if they even trade him, you know, maybe the next year or two. But, you know, with, with that being said, I think you can sit you can sit him out. You can sit Richardson out for at least a year, two years, you know, and, and let him develop uh, while they build the squad. And I think his potential, though, from, you know, kind of watching him play is, you know, kind of Cam Newton MVP, you know, kind of, you know, that's pretty high ceiling, but – you know, with his size, the way that he can run, I think that's that's kind of the the pick, you know, risk that you're hoping to, to hit on is that kind of potential. Right, right. I, I, I agree. Uh, I'm with you there. I thought Seattle did a great job with Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Those were good picks in their parts. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you trade up to 14 with Bro- get Broderick Jones – you get Joey Porter Jr. at the top of the second round at pick 32. Obviously, his dad played there. I mean, the, the Steelers were hitting throughout this draft. And, and historically speaking, when you talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're a small market team. This is their bread and butter. And I thought the Steelers did an excellent job. Young quarterback there and Kenny Pickett, uh, second year of the post-Big Ben era. Uh, we know Mike Tomlin's a good coach, you know, future Hall of Famer in his own right. Uh, I, I, I like, uh, Jose, what, what Pittsburgh's doing, lay, laying the groundwork. They're, they're putting the groundwork to be competitive here pretty soon. Yeah, no, they, they sure are. But, you know, you got to you gotta kind of keep an account is they're, they're in a uh, conference or in a division with the Ravens and the Bengals. So, you know, it's and and the even Browns, the Browns, too. you know, the Browns, yeah. You know, they're getting a full squad back with Watson being there now for a full year coming up, full season. I mean, it, it's a tough division. I think. Uh, I think right now, Steelers' best bet is to try to shoot for a wild card. You know, one of those one of those wild card later. Um, you know, I probably that's probably it. They're not going to go for the division. You know, crown. I don't think anytime soon. What are your thoughts on their division? Do you think who's going to win it? Do you think it's going to be the Ravens or do you think the Bengals are going to own it? I think the Ravens and the Bengals are right there neck and neck. I think the the Ravens did an incredible job improving that roster, bringing in OBJ, bringing in Zay Flowers, um, you know, and, and and not to mention get Lamar his new deal, and and you know even even today bringing in Rockyson, who I think was the best corner left on the market, pairing him up with Marlon Humphrey. Um, you do have questions about Patrick Queen's future, but. Trenton Simpson, uh, I thought, was a good pick in the third round. Baltimore's going to be good. Cincinnati, I think Joe Burrow is the second-best quarterback in the league right now behind Mahomes, and they have probably the best receiving core in football with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and company. I mean, they, they got some dudes on that team, but they lost some guys too, and they didn't necessarily, I think, Jose, do a really good job of replacing them either, like, I know the Bengals have been the back-to-back AFC championship games, but I mean, you gotta you gotta keep up with with the Jimmys and the Joes. You know, I, I I would I would expect Cincinnati. I was disappointed in 
granted, I don't have a dog in the fight. You know, I, you know, I'm I'm all in favor of Cincinnati competing and doing well. Nothing. Don't wish anything against them. I was personally disappointed <laughs> that they did not do more to continue improving that roster. I think they're going to take a step back. I think they're worse right now than they were at the end of the season. So on your, uh, I guess you could say, early power rankings for the AFC, where where do they fall within the the bunch? So, do you think? Uh, I think in the AFC, you're looking at Kansas City, number one, and I think Buffalo, Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Miami are all right there, and, and maybe even the New York Jets, too. I think that it's Kansas City, and then there's about four or five teams that are all right there together. You mean the New York Packers? Yes. <laughs> Randall Cobb? Really? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Aaron Rodgers getting all his boys paid. <laughs> yes. I mean, he, he didn't want – you know, he complained about not getting talent in Green Bay. What's wants to bring him to New York, you know, but – um. <laughs> What's interesting about the Jets, one more note on, on draft stuff, and then we'll we'll kind of shift gears here. Um, Jose, what, what I found fascinating, it came out that Belichick traded down with the Steelers from 14 to 17, could have asked for a lot. All they got was a fourth-round pick for trading down. And people were like, well, why did he not get more? You know, he should have been able to get more for that. Well, he stopped the Jets from getting Broderick Jones – the offensive tackle to protect Aaron Rodgers. He was able to maneuver, <laughs> pick the team that was going to take Broderick Jones and get them there. So in the end, he got the player he wanted in Christian Gonzalez, got a fourth-round pick, and stopped the Jets from getting Broderick Jones. That's why Belichick's so good at this. And that's like playing chess, right? Like those are some some chess moves there for future. Like if they stayed at 14, wow. I think they would have taken Christian Gonzalez anyway. Yeah. Yeah, man. And well, I didn't even I mean honestly this is new to me. I didn't realize that he blocked the Jets from from getting their player. <laughs> that's I'm, a that's definitely a Bill Belichick move. <laughs> he, he uh you know the, the, the Jets took Will McDonald, who is a very fine football player. You and I saw him a lot in the Big Twelve, was a monster at Iowa yeah. State, but no one had Will McDonald projected to go top fifteen. I mean, he, some people had a second-round grade on the guy, and that's who the Jets got at 15. So credit to Belichick for uh, for pulling that off. And we'll have more on the draft uh, when Bo joins us coming up later. But uh, Big 12 football front, one more one note on that. Then I want to talk NBA playoffs here. Uh, Jose, we, we've heard uh, some rumblings, Big 12, looking at uh, some possible games in Mexico in both football and basketball beginning 2024 basketball-wise, a matchup between Kansas and Houston, and then 2025 with a matchup that's still to be determined. We've talked a lot on this show about Brett Yormark and the visionary that he is as the commissioner of the Big 12 Conference, the incredible job that he's done uh, as Big 12 commissioner, how proactive they've been, and, you know, looking at adding these four-corner schools in the Pac-12 Conference, and, you know, that door hasn't shut. That's still a possibility. Um, with that said, you know, th- this deal, I know what some of you may be thinking, like, uh, I don't really want to lose a home game. And every home game matters because you only get six or seven of a, of a year. But hear me out on this, Jose. Think You think about it. 12-team league, you'd only be giving up one home game in either sport 
every 12 years with everybody having to give up a home game. So you might take two trips in a 12-year stretch, but only one of those is your home game. I mean, and not to mention the financial gains that could come out of it. I mean, to me, I'll sacrifice the one game in Lawrence, Kansas in a 12-year stretch to go to, you know, freaking Monterey, Mexico. Sign me up. I'm all in for this. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's a it's a power move on on for the Big Twelve. I think, you know, we're we're kind of getting to that point where everyone's kind of, you know, cutting deals with you know whether it be ESPN, Fox, and you know the way that you need to promote your your you know your league, you know, in this case the Big Twelve is is showing. Well, look, if we go to Monterey, Mexico, Monterrey, you know, we're they could probably fill up that stadium, you know, as opposed to having a home game in Kansas, you know, probably wouldn't be as, as full. I mean, they, they were kind of popping towards the end of the season, right? If you can sell out so much more capacity seats, that's more revenue for you. And, you know, and, and, and this time of day revenue is all that matters along with ratings. So, you know, it's going to be a, a prime time type of, you know, television event to show a, a broadcast, you know, big 12 game in Mexico. So big ratings, big money coming through. I think that's that's revenue that they can try to recoup instead of maybe having a home game in a Kansas or, um, you know, an Iowa State or, you know, somewhere where, where there might not be a full sellout, but, you know, they can take their talent, promote their brand, also maybe even influence, you know, a country in which, who knows, maybe they do some recruiting while they're down there as well. Maybe they find you know, some, some players that, that might be good in college, you know, for Mexico in football, well, you know, not and, soccer, but football. Well, think about this too, <laughs> along the recruiting lines, by getting that school's brand out there, that's going to help the other sports. Maybe a soccer player or a baseball player says, man, I really love that Oklahoma state football game. They got a really good baseball program or they got a really good softball yep. program. I, I, I want to check that out. Maybe I want to go play for those guys. I think it, it helps your whole university beyond just your football or your basketball uh, athletics departments as far as that goes. I, I, I no, think definitely. It's a brilliant idea. Um, you talk about the fan interest. I think, Jose, this would be like a bowl game. You're going to get your fans to come on down from the States in addition to mm-hmm. all the Mexico football or basketball fans that want to see American college football or American college basketball not to mention Americans that already live down there and already fans of these sports as is. Yeah. To me, there, there's so much potential to, to make a uh, an event out of this. And, and, and for the athletes, too, like, I mean, it's going to be – I know that people kind of raise their eyebrows like, really, you want to go to Mexico in, in these <laughs> day and age? But they're going to be heavily protected, a lot of security and everything. You talk about the recruiting benefit, now your crew – your pitch to recruits here stateside. Yeah. You want to go play a game in Mexico uh, a couple times. I mean, that's a, that's a great sales pitch. Absolutely. And then, you know, for the college themselves, instead of thinking they're losing a home game, you know, I think they're, you know, they, they still would be the home team, but you know, in, in a day and age where NIL deals are happening and they need all kinds of money to back those up, you know, this is just another way to, to fund those and get revenue going through as well so 
we've heard Kansas and Houston as the basketball game, and that makes sense because, um, you know, they're, they're two of the most successful basketball programs as of late at the new Big 12. Uh, Houston, you know, going to, uh, you know, they were a number one seed this past year. They were in the Final Four a couple of years ago. Kansas, of course, kind of goes without saying, national champions last season and, you know, arguably the most, uh, you know, uh, successful program in all of college basketball. That makes a lot of sense. When I start to think about the football yeah. games, a matchups that make sense, Jose, I, I was thinking, you know, Texas Tech is an obvious draw uh, being, you know, close to, you know, close to that border and everything and probably having, you know, a lot of fans that could make that trip, trip from Lubbock. Texas Tech makes a lot of sense. If you end up getting some of these, you know, Pac-12 schools, I think the Arizona schools would make a lot of sense. Arizona, Arizona State uh, to make that trip. BYU, you know, they're they're a national brand here in the U.S., but they're a, an international brand. I think BYU would make a lot of sense in Mexico. I, I think that um, you're going to have, you know, when, once everybody sees the benefits of what this could do financially and recruiting and for the fan base and everything, I, I think – Every member of this league is is going to want a slice of this eventually, but those are the ones that come to mind, at least for me, right away. Yeah, no, totally agree with you on that. I think um, you know, even like a maybe a Baylor, Baylor and just the current ones, Baylor, Texas Tech, you know, for you know the ones on the border, knowing that OU and Texas are going to most likely be out by then. Um, you know, if we get some of the others, you mentioned BYU or even UCF, you know, if there's a, you know, UCF team that comes into the Big 12 and, and you know, maybe faces a Houston team or something unique, you know, something or even a, a rivalry game. Um, you know, I think, you know, even like a KU versus Kansas State, you know, I think kind of promote that as a rivalry down in Mexico. I think that yeah. would be popping as well. Uh, that, that's one thing. I'd be surprised if you had some of your in-state rivalry games played. But, you know, if if you could – I think when Texas was in the league, if if they were playing, you know, like TCU or something like that, that could have made sense or something to that effect. But we'll see. The Big 12 yeah. in Mexico, I, th- I think it's a brilliant idea. Brett Yormark has got this going. We already know about the New York project going to Rucker Park and all that involved in the basketball side. Uh, grow on the brand. Got to find ways to create revenue, creative marketing. Uh, Big 12, I think, is heading in the right direction. Your mark's doing a terrific job. Uh, before we bring Taryn into the show, let's talk some NBA playoffs now and just kind of go through these series just one by one uh, real quick. Starting with the Lakers and uh, the Warriors. Lakers get a, a win in game one, 117-112. Uh, they lead that series uh, 1-0. Jose, both these teams were the lower seed in their previous series, but veteran experience played off, uh, paid off. Staff was awesome the last series with the the Kings. LeBron and AD are coming together, coming into their own. They're looking like the LeBron and AD of old. Uh, and one of these teams is going to be in the Western Conference Finals when it's all said and done. Uh, I mean, I, I would say for both – I don't know who's going to win this series – I think I lean towards the Lakers because I think they have the size advantage here. But with both of these veteran teams, they've been here before, done that. I would say with each of them, they're peaking at the right time. Yeah, they they definitely are. I think this was a series that everyone wanted to see. 
I think, you know, even though there were the lower seeds on the round one, I think looking towards the end of the both series, everyone saw this matchup as a marquee matchup. But I think for me, I think if I'm, you know, watching the game, I watched the game the other night and, you know, kind of watching how the Lakers defended Curry, it was a great plan. You know, Vanderbilt played a great, you know, a great game, great defensive game against Curry, you know, kept him, you know, run, ran around with them as well and kept up with them. But as soon as he got off the floor and went to the bench, Curry started going off. So you got to think about is, you know, for this upcoming game too, Curry's going to adjust, you know, he's going to make some plays. He's going to make some plays of which some screens come about to free up Curry to get them open shots I can ex- I expect Curry to bounce back, and I think Warriors take Game Two. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, and you know, the Lakers, you, you did what you accomplished, right? You got one on the road. Uh, the the second game, you're kind of playing with house money, taking a home court uh, already there. So we'll see how that series goes. Knicks and a Heat series tie at one apiece with the Knicks winning Game Two. Um, the Heat came to play the way that they shut down the Bucks and were able to shock the world and advance the next round. They come in, they win game one at MSG. Here they are, 1-1. Um, I, I think both these teams are amazing stories to even get to this point, especially the Knicks. You know, it's the magical season they've had being the five and winning uh, the, the series and everything. With that said, uh, I think on paper, Jose, I think – the Heat are the more talented team. I, I'm not counting against Jimmy Butler. Playoff time, he is just special. <laughs> he is. He is. I, I watched him play the the Bucks. Uh, I was. I'm a big Giannis fan, and watching close out that that series, man, it was it was crazy. He just carried the team on his back. But you know, even with Butler out, the Nick or the the Heat were able to pull off a win to tie up the series. Game three, you know, pivotal game three. You got to wonder is is you know Jimmy Bucket's ankle. How's it? How's it feeling? How's he going to do? Is he going to play game three? Are they going to you know take a rest now that they tied the series? You know, there's not. I'm not saying that there is an urgency, but you know, this is a game that maybe if they need that extra rest now that they've won one, they can allow it to happen and you know roll with what they got. Yeah, Jimmy Butler, he is him, as they say. Uh, he is him. <laughs> the the uh, Celtics and the uh, 76ers, that series tied 1-1. The Celtics just just beat the shit out of the uh, Sixers in uh, game two with that uh, 121-87 victory. Uh, Embiid's the MVP, rightfully so. Uh, I, I love that decision, not just because I'm a Jayhawk, but uh, I thought Embiid <laughs> was well-deserving over the Joker. Um, MB was phenomenal. Uh, he's coming back from the injury and everything, but, uh, th- this is a series that, that, that could go either way. And I wonder, uh, if, you know, the MB doesn't look a hundred percent just yet. He, he could get there. They'll need him to get to 100% pretty fast. If they're, if they're going to, to have a shot in this series, Jose. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta think about is, you know, he wasn't a hundred percent this game and he didn't play that well. And I think there are, you know, obviously them winning game one without him, they smell blood. Like they, they smell blood 
you know, they, they beat the Boston Celtics without their MVP. So you got to think is they, they rushed Joel Embiid or Embiid rushed himself to get on, hoping to try to take a 2-0 lead and go back home up 2-0. But now that they've lost and the series is tied and they lost with Embiid, you got to think the momentum's back now with the Celtics, you know, especially with this, you know, huge crushing, you know, blow of, of 121-87 defeat. Celtics got the momentum back. MB, I don't believe is 100% yet. And then going back to Philly, I think, you know, it's – I personally would have not played MB. I think I would have let him rest and then that way bring him back game three. But I'm not, I'm not Doc Rivers, so. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of pressure on James Harden, too. I know he was awesome in game one and, and hit that game winner, but we, we've seen James Harden in Philly. It, it's It's been a roller coaster, right? It's been a lot of ups and downs, and the 76ers have not known what James Harden they're going to get night in and night out. I, I, I think well, Jose, the best basketball of his career was in Houston, Brooklyn was a, a weird situation just all around him with everything that was going on. But in, in Philadelphia, we have not seen him be the Houston Rockets, James Harden. And right now with where Embiid is at with this injury, they need the Houston Rockets, James Harden, to show up right now. Yeah, we saw a flash of him this past game, game one. But, man, game two, two for 14, zero for six in the three-point line. Man, plus or minus neg- minus 21, 12 points. It's definitely not the, the Houston James Harden we got. We got the the old old man James Harden playing this today. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh Suns and Nuggets. Uh that series, Denver leads 2-0. Nuggets won game two, uh 97 to 87. Uh Jose, two things here. Uh Jamal Murray, uh Watch out when Jamal Murray's on. This is a whole different team, and we're seeing him put it together here. Um, Joker, a lot of flack. He's been getting, uh, you know, of his past transgressions in the postseason, but here he is. Joker is is playing his uh, best ball right now. Credit to him for stepping up playoff time. So Denver is doing everything right. I don't have anything to say about Denver. Negative to say about <laughs> Denver. But the, the Suns, I mean, what in the hell is going on with Phoenix here? <laughs> Uh, you know, KD, Devin Booker, the talent is there. There's no reason why that team should ever be held to 87 points. I mean, granted, Denver plays well defensively, but my goodness, uh, Phoenix, uh, I I thought they looked great against the Clippers, and they look like a different team. You you forgot to mention um, Chris Paul's out. Chris Paul left, but you have enough other uh, guys. No, no, definitely. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think. I, I mean, think Chris I Paul expect Denver to win the off. series, Jose. But I mean, you at least got to be more competitive than that. Especially if you got KD and and you know Booker on the team. Right. I'm 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 with you on that one. But I think what happened is you know Chris Paul. I get it. He's up there, and he tends to disappear in the playoffs. But you know, if Chris Paul's the the you know the general on the floor. You know. He's the guy that that gets everyone where they need to go, and when he went out, it just threw them off. Like it, it threw the whole team off. You know, Cameron Payne came in; he tried to do his best. You know, Chris Paul impression, but I think they just need to go back and to the drawing board and you know, kind of create some plays and 
and kind of develop a plan around maybe Booker being the general and leading the charge. And, you know, we'll see if they make any adjustments for game three. But, you know, Chris Paul leaving, I don't think that – I don't think that helped. But at the same time, you got KD and you got Booker. You got Aiden. Like, you you should be able to, you know, take care of business. I mean, like, we we have – we've said this for a long time about KD. But I I feel like you can say to an extent about uh, Devin Booker here. Like, where's that dog in you? You know, where where you just say, you know what? I'm not backing down. I got to take over. I got to put this team on my back. That's been a problem KD's entire career, even date back to Oklahoma City, that he doesn't have that dog in him, that he needs a, a running mate. I mean, Chris Paul's not here. He's an older player. You, you can't depend on him. I mean, it, it's put up or shut up time. Booker, KD, somebody, I mean, show that you got that dog in you. <laughs> that dog you know you know who they need they need a westbrook in there yeah <laughs> westbrook would have that dog, dog in him definitely or a, or a pj tucker as well you know pj tucker has got that dog mentality with with the 76ers like you need those guys on the team and you, you you're don't right even have to be the best nobody. player to have that dog in you but you gotta be, have that raw raw guy that just says we're gonna win this game or Draymond Green, as much as I'm not a big fan yeah. of Draymond Green, like he's, he's he's got that dog mentality. He's got the you like, hey, like I'm gonna go up there and knock you out, kind of guy. Like just to back up the team. If there's right. just no one on the team that it's that mentality, that no kind Chris of, Paul there, they have no dogs. No, I mean Chris Paul had some dog in him, even though he's an old dog, but he got some dog in him. But now it's just, I mean, I hate to say it, but soft. Like you know, yes. Aiden's. Ains, you know, he's he's not really much of a dog. He's he's kind of quiet. He does, you know, put up his stats, but like nobody there is gonna, you know, if if someone's gonna fight, like they're gonna be the ones that fight for the team. No one's there fighting for the team. I think they're just trying to figure out who's who's gonna take the next shot between KD and Booker. Like one of them just need to take charge. Like I'm the man, and it needs to be Booker. It's his team before KD arrives, so he needs to step up. I agree. Uh, Jose, uh, we'll bring you back in later on. Uh, we'll have Tom Fullery coming up at the end of the show. Taryn Gregson stopping by. Coach Bo's going to be here. Still more to come. Stay with us as we continue here on the Joe Sport. Joining us now, the Joe Sport this week. Uh, very pleased to bring back on. It's been a minute, but we're so excited to have her back. Taryn Gregson, who is uh, working with uh we are patriots and uh doing a podcast with them and we are we the patriots usa and uh has a very unique story well you know we're from covering golf for the uh, pga tour but uh, now is is speaking out uh sharing her story and it's uh it's a very interesting one she joins us right now taryn always good to talk to you welcome back and and uh a, a lot's gone on since uh we 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 last talked appreciate you joining us well, thanks for having me on, Tyler. It's been uh, fun to follow you in your career. And um, yeah, usually we're talking golf, <laughs> but this time my career's taken a bit of a turn, as you pointed out. Yeah, uh, and I want to get into that and just just let you share, you know, where, where you're coming from and everything. What what a, Let's start from why you ended up leaving the PGA Tour. You were you were treated very unfairly. I I thought you know with with uh, taking a stance that. We've seen as turned out to be common sense for sure, you know, and, and we, we were all skeptical, a lot of us at the time, uh, 
but you stood up for yourself and and uh, lost your job over it. I did, yes. Um, I ended up uh, after I was with the PGA Tour for almost six years, and I was broadcaster for them. You know, it was going really great until the the pandemic hit, and we all were forced home, uh, like so many. Uh, we had, we were remote working remotely from our homes. I had a broadcast studio set up in my house, uh, to continue to do my broadcasts once golf resumed. And, um, I, you know, fast forward through the pandemic into 2021, I was pregnant at the time and they started to push the vaccine and then they had us go through a religious exemption process that or a medical exemption. I was pregnant at the time, but I have strong religious um, beliefs against vaccines in general and specifically against this one as a mother, you know, a pregnant mother at the time looking to protect my child. And so um, I went through the religious exemption process. And after I went through that for the vaccine, they uh, started to put put down these discriminatory rules against those of us that chose not to get vaccinated. And um, here in Florida, we, that's where the PGA Tour is headquartered in, in Florida. There were never any masking mandates or anything like that. But they started to say, hey, when we go back into the office um, in November, they were forcing everyone to go back. Um, then you have to, those that are not vaccinated have to wear masks and, and test, uh, weekly by that point, people were already getting, um, COVID regardless of if you had the vaccine or not. And like I said, there were no mask mandates. And, um, I have a very strong religious, uh, conviction against the mask. I think that they were used as uh, a spiritual weapon really of fear. And I refuse to be discriminated against for my religious views on the vaccine. And that's exactly what they were doing with these masks. And I was pregnant and I didn't, you know, feel comfortable wearing a mask all day as a pregnant person either with, um, you know, the, the, we, with the breathing and, um, that hurting my, my baby as well, but it all came down to my religious views on it all. And so I said, Hey, if you don't let me go in like the rest of my uh, vaccinated employees um, who aren't testing or masking, then why can't I just work from home for a couple more months until I go on maternity leave, you know, just like I had been doing. They said, no, uh, they let my, they let my team do that for um, several weeks, continue to work from home after they fired me. But for some reason they weren't letting me do that. So there were a lot of, they gave medical exemptions for, for people for masking and testing. For some reason they came after me and weren't uh, being flexible with me, but they were being flexible with plenty of other employees. And they ended up firing me um, over my stance on my religious convictions against this discrimination. Yeah, just just so unfair. And and uh, what's uh, what what's gone on since then? You've uh, started working with uh, We Are the Patriots. I, I, I saw you doing interviews, I believe, with the Blaze and some of these other sites. Uh, what's what what has been your platform and the path you've gone now since uh, since leaving the uh, PGA Tour? Uh, letting your your voice be heard, sharing your story. Where where are you going about your your career? Kind of took a pivot with this, right? It did. It did very much. Uh, we the Patriots USA, who is a nonprofit, they help team people up with uh, lawyers and representation to help find them litigation for their civil rights cases, their parental rights, uh, religious freedom cases, and their medical freedom cases. And um, they've been in the game for 
quite some time. And um, so they came alongside me and said, hey, we will we will take on your case. We believe that you um, have a strong case for religious discrimination as well as um, you know, they didn't handle the pregnancy part of it well either. So they've come alongside me in my case and we'll take prayers for that because we've got big decisions coming down on that um, this month. And that would really um, set precedent in the future for how employees can be treated um, in these situations. And um, on top of that, they said, let's start a podcast with you um, as part of their education arm of We the Patriots USA. So I've been doing Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA for going on a year and a half now um, with them. And it's been amazing to connect with so many people. Um, as you said, I've, you know, gotten I've been on the Blaze on Turning Point USA and um, had those folks on my show as well. And so many different people. Um, Allison Williams was just on uh, formerly of ESPN. Now with her, her story is pretty similar to yours, right? It is very similar to mine. Um, she was being forced to get the vaccine while she was going through, um, you know, trying to get pregnant. And um, she stood her ground and, um, you know, wanted to correct, protect her family. And so, yeah, she's now has a case against ESPN and she's a sideline reporter now for Fox Sports. So she came on. So we have a mix of um we have a mix of doctors and scientists and, um, you know, sports personalities. I have John Stockton coming up on the show um, in a week here and um, Peter McCullough that same week. So, you know, it's a, it's a mix of people. Um, I recently uh, had Jessica Sutta on the show, who's a former pussycat doll who has come out talking about the her vaccine injury. Um, so we talk f about from people from the sports world and Hollywood and, and science and, and medical industry. So it's really been a neat pivot that God has put my career on. And the show is expanding. We're getting ready to debut on Red Voice Media. We um, are building a new studio and um, it's really exciting time for for this movement and for people to be standing up and faithfully pursuing their freedoms. That's what my show is all about. And we have a, we, the Patriots USA has a national conference coming up in Boise, Idaho, June 2nd and 3rd, which we, you can go to we, the Patriots USA.org and use the code secret 50 to get 50% off your tickets. I'll be there and seeing, we have Dr. Ryan Cole, James O'Keefe, formerly of project Veritas, yeah. uh, Steve Dace, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, the list goes on and on of uh, the big names that are going to be there. You know, uh, Taryn, I, I was thinking about your story and, and situation and, you know, the some folks out there would, would label you anti-vax or whatever. And I, I think that's unfair because from from, from what it, it, it seems like anyway, you're not telling people not to get vaccinated or, or stuff like that. You're just encouraging people to have choices and have freedoms to make the best medical decisions for themselves. And, and you know, that, that, that the type of labels we've seen for, for people like you and others just are so unfair and dishonest. Yes, they are. I mean, I think that from the beginning, it was, uh, you know, my stance has been that everyone should have uh, a choice, but I also think that everyone should have informed consent. And so many people did not have informed consent 
throughout this pandemic. And then if you start to kind of peel back the layers of informed consent, you know, behind vaccines for children and in the medical industry, you start to really uncover some layers of information that you start to realize, wow, um, you know, with big pharma and the big industrial medical complex, like there is a lot of uninformed consent happening. And so, you know, as I, I started to go down that whole, that, uh, you know, open my eyes to all of that prior to the pandemic, having children and um, having two little babies, my first in 2020. And you really are just um, surprised at the amount of vaccines that they want to give a tiny little healthy baby. And so I myself started to look down, uh, look through, I should say, look through the um look through the data and the statistics and the risks benefit factors and all of it. And so I, I think that my stance absolutely is completely, um, you know, it should be a choice, but I also really want to be lobbying for informed consent and making sure that people understand the data, or in this case with the COVID vaccine, the lack of data um, that people had. And honestly, now that we're seeing, and this is the kind of stuff that we cover um, you know, we do a lot of investigative reporting as well. Um, the data and that we knew that Pfizer had prior to putting this out, they knew that it wasn't safe. Um, and so now we're seeing a lot of adverse effects, a lot of injuries. And unfortunately, you know, I like to be a, a help to pregnant women and women looking to become pregnant and moms out there. We're seeing a lot of really unfortunate data behind the miscarriages, the stillbirths, the fertility issues that are coming on the heels of these vaccines. But um, yeah, I, I think having the choice and for someone like you that's in sports, uh, these athletes, they are so concerned about what's going in their bodies, right? You know, they, right. from the diet to what they, uh, um, everything that they consume, their workout routines, everything. And so here they were, um, being told that they had to take something that no one knew what the long-term consequences were. And these guys are like, Hey, you know, we're athletes. We have to worry about what's in our body. You're telling us we can't, uh, you know, take the, take basic pain pills in certain, uh, cases because it'll show up on a drug test, but you're going to have us take, you know, these certain, these, experimental shots that we don't have informed consent for. So it, it really touched everyone from us reporters to the athletes, to just everyday people at home, not having the freedom or the informed consent. Yeah. Uh, one thing that, that uh, I think is a, a good point to bring up too here with this Taryn is your former employer, the PGA tour, uh, not just even this, but, has been involved in a lot of hypocrisy as of late between that. I mean, I, I go back to, you know, at the heart of the pandemic when John Rahm got kicked off <laughs> an event when he was leading by six shots and wasn't around anybody. And, and yeah, and he was vaccinated, tested positive. They pulled him off the course. He was going to win the tournament tournament most likely that happened before I got fired and they still said <laughs> that I needed to follow those uh guidelines that didn't that didn't make sense yeah yeah and that was when I think that we were all headed the right direction with the pandemic yeah. died down a bit too I mean like you had that and then I mean just how they've handled live and all this too yeah. um you know I mean there I, I understand that you know trying to compete with another league and all this but 
just the perception and the way that they've painted themselves versus versus live this you know good guy bad guy thing i'm like i mean have you seen who the pga tour is taking money from too i mean they're they're, they're no saint compared to live if we're, if we're being being real here Absolutely. And, you know, it's not just the PGA Tour. It goes across the board. I mean, all, all of these sports leagues are, are taking money from, you know, different various, uh, you know, regimes, if you if you will. Yeah. And uh, the, that's, you know, that's kind of the stance that I've taken in this, that no one is in the right. You know, the live live is not in the right. The PGA Tour is not in the right. Everyone has dirty money. Um, the PGA Tour has it takes a lot of money from china they had an office and they had an office in china i don't know if they still do because i'm not employed there anymore but um they had a league in china and the only reason why that folded was because of covid and they had to shut everything down but they had they had a pga tour china tour over there um and we all know that fedex and various other big sponsors are also tied to saudi arabia just in the same way live is so um you know just in the same way that it's not great, Liv is taking money from Saudi Arabia. Like I said, the PGA Tour's money isn't clean either. And I don't, like I said, I'm not singling the PGA Tour out either because we know the NBA, the NFL, all these various places um, also have big business in China. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've heard Ennis Freedom share his story a lot and being blackballed mm-hmm. by the NBA too uh, yep. with his, the how he's spoken up against China. You know, it, it is interesting. And and that brings up a whole other overarching point here, uh, Taryn, of, you know, we, we hear so much about big tech, but I, I would argue that beyond just big tech, there's a whole bigger issue of big media. You know, everybody talks about, uh, you know, Fox News letting go of Tucker Carlson last week and, you know, kind of silencing, you know, his voice for now. Um, and, and just the control that big media has. We see PGA with you and you mentioned ESPN with Allison. I mean, there is, uh, I, I would argue that's just as big of a problem, the, the big media structure as it is the, the big tech structure. A hundred percent it is because if you don't have, when media is supposed to be the watchdogs of the government um, and whether that's in sports where, you know, we're covering lighter issues or if that's in uh, news media where they are absolutely covering important issues, when we don't have that watchdog anymore, it is, um, it's detrimental to, to society. It, and um, that's why, you know, all these different various, um, you know, content producers out there are really awesome that um, we have all of these different avenues now that people can get information that just isn't, you know, on the major uh, mainstream media because it is very much um, bought and sold. And we know for a fact uh, during the COVID pandemic, and I've had Emerald Robinson on my show, she's a former White House reporter, now has her own show um, as well, uh, through FOIA documents that the HHS, Health and Human Services, was paying media companies, all of these media companies, doesn't matter which side of the aisle they they were on they were paying every single one of these to push the vaccine narrative and they had very specific uh you know rhetoric that they had to follow in order to get this money from the hhs and then now recently i've had on my show we've uncovered through working with obgyn dr thorpe and his attorney wife maggie thorpe that the hhs also has peddled money through the American College of OBGYNs to do the exact same thing for 
the OBGYNs, the American College of OBGYNs, to push the vaccine on pregnant women that they had no proof was safe or effective on. And they did have data that they knew was causing miscarriages. They pushed, they peddled money through them to also push the same narrative that had very specific parameters that they had to follow to get that money. So not only are we seeing the government um, pushing propaganda through mainstream media, we're also seeing that they're pushing propaganda through these health organizations as well. And that becomes a very, very, you're no longer a free country when your mainstream media and your medical um, your medical organizations are bought and sold by government. Well, and, and Taryn, uh, to, to add to that point too, I, I think when we see where where mainstream media and, and everything's going here, like if if you want to say how you actually feel, and not be bought and paid for, I mean, you, you have to pretty much go the independent route. We're seeing in uh, in the in the news media, you know, with all the the people that have left cable news and. And now we're, we're seeing it even in the sports media to an extent and, and what's developed on that side, too. I mean, you you, you got to step away a, a bit to let your voice really be heard if you want to say what you really feel. Absolutely. And, you know, even if you want to remain unbiased in right. sports, yeah, you have to step away, which is um, really upsetting because that's what we're all really supposed to be doing is being unbiased and asking uh, logical questions. But instead, Um, you know, it's just one narrative that's being pushed across the board. And um, I think that it's a big mishit for all of these uh, organizations, especially these sports media outlets and sports organizations. I think that they are alienating, not in my opinion, not just 50% of their audience, but more than 50% of their audience. I think they are alienating with these different um, woke, uh, you know, agendas. And um, there's not fair reporting. You know, I myself did not experience that whenever I lost my job very publicly. You know, I had uh, reporters call me up and get one quote from me. And in five minutes, their story was out on social media where they had this long, big, uh, you know, a long, big statement from the PGA tour that you could tell that they worked with the PGA tour for um, at least several hours, if not several days to craft the story. And then they call me up ask me two questions, five minutes later, it's out. So that just shows you how these reporters themselves are also being, uh, you know, directed by these sports organizations to push the exact story that these sports organizations want them to. Yeah. Well, and and Tara, I don't know what your political views are. I don't think that's even important for this conversation, what we're talking about here. We're just talking about you know, yeah. you know, having a voice to be heard and, and, you know, what's right and wrong. And, and, and I look at, you know, there's, I, I would, I would argue the, the sports media is way more liberal than the, than the news media even. And you don't have uh, in the sports media, a whole lot of, uh, you know, people, you know, being vocal for how they really feel or, or, or on that side of the aisle. I mean, you, you get, shut down so quickly if you are even in somewhat mild opposition of the of the left wing lane yeah because it's such an it it's such an extremist uh viewpoints that they're pushing on people too because like i said it doesn't even matter 
um, if you're left or right, like just normal everyday Americans are saying, okay, a lot of these woke things, I might be a Democrat, but these different woke uh, scenarios that you are and ideologies that you're pushing on to me, I don't, that doesn't sit well with me. And, um, and so, like I said, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on and these sports reporters who are just trying to ask who should be able to ask just logical questions you know, regardless of what I, what side of the aisle they are on, are just getting completely shot down and lambasted. I mean, state Sage Steele of ESPN has a, a suit going on with them um, about how she was, you know, basically um, pushed to the side by ESPN for just trying to ask simple questions, whereas other reporters were being praised and promoted for pushing things like um, abortion and, and Black Lives Matter and the LBGTQ um, initiatives on air, which, you know, we're talking about sports here. Why are we talking about abortion when we're talking about sports, you know? Um, So I think that (laughs) it, like you said, there's not even, it completely cuts down and um, silences discourse because these athletes now, for example, like in the NHL, where these players are, are standing up and saying, no, I don't want to wear these rainbow jerseys during pride night. I just want to play hockey and uh, bring people together. I don't want to wear these divisive uh, jerseys. You know, they're being lambasted with really unfair and harsh and mean questions from the liberal media. And so the teams are not protecting their players because these players are just being thrown to the wolves. And these reporters are only asking one-sided questions. There's no other reporters out there asking the other side of this. And that also happened during COVID when certain players like, you know, Aaron Rodgers or whomever that were saying, you know, no, I don't feel comfortable taking this and I'm not going to follow along with these rules. Again, they were only getting one-sided questions. There were no reporters in there, you know, asking fair questions about why they might not want to to take these shots. So it really, um, it's a trickle-down effect. You know, sports is downstream from politics and culture. And so it really does a disservice to the athletes and to the viewers when we only have one side in sports media. And um, it's, I think that it's going to, it's already, we're already seeing how it is hurting sports in general. And oh, I yeah. think it's continue to do so. I mean, it, it feels like we just now reached a breaking point of some sorts yeah. of discourse with the transgender athlete issue mm-hmm. and I mean, for that to be the thing, like, to me, I, I'm sitting here like, you know, shouldn't it be obvious? Like, yeah, we, we don't want biological men in women's sports. I mean, competitive advantage, no matter how you feel about the the trans lifestyle one way or the other. I mean, like, shouldn't that be an obvious thing? Like, of course, you don't want biological women men in, in women's sports competitive advantage. You know, I mean, like everybody should should feel that way. You know, I mean, like. The fact that it took that to be the breaking point of some sorts, I mean, tells you how far things really went. Oh, 100%. And I think that was very much the breaking point for, um, you know, going back to the NHL for them, too, because they started to realize that their the Pride Night money that they were raising was going toward 
gender affirming surgery centers, pediatric ones for kids. And so these guys are like, wait a second, if I'm helping to raise money for people to dismember and maim children, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so you're right. That was part of the breaking point. And I think too, for male athletes, it is part of the breaking point because they're seeing their fellow female athletes in these sports that are just completely their their sport is being torn apart by these men that are coming in and um, dominating these female sports. Women's sports is going to completely fall if we continue to let this happen. There will, you know, if you're a father or someone listening right now who has a daughter that likes to play sports, um, that's not going to be there anymore for them in the future if we continue to go down this route. And, um, you know, we have players like Brittany Griner and people like that that are coming out saying that these men should be able to compete in their women's sports. And again, going back to the media issue, where's the questions from the media asking about how that affects her standing in sports and her ability to her ability to compete or the future generations ability to compete again their ESPN's giving her this platform to say all these things and no one's asking dissenting questions yeah it's it's a, a fantastic point we got time for a couple more uh, questions here with Tara so, so I want to ask you just uh looking back uh I, I did you mentioned you you had your pregnancy and everything uh what, did you have a a healthy baby and everything, everything go fine. And uh, the way it all worked out transpired, uh, uh, would you have done it all over again the same way? Did, did it all work out for, for, for better for you? It did work out for better for me with the health of my baby. Um, I had my second child was born in March, in uh, March, 2022. And he is a healthy baby boy. We, um, we ended up having a, we did, we opted for a home birth because we were just so over all of the, um, the, the COVID, oop, I dropped my phone. We were so over all of the, the COVID protocols and everything in the hospitals and we just didn't trust it. We wanted to, um, you know, have a peaceful delivery and that's what we did. It was the most wonderful experience. Um, I'd have to say it has been, um, you know, it, when you take a stand, it's not always going to be easy financially. Um, it, it hadn't, it hasn't been easy, but, um, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. The fact that I have a healthy, beautiful baby boy, that is exactly, um, you know, what I was defending at the time and, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but now God has a plan and, you know, we're, we're helping so many people through the show and through the efforts that we're doing at We the Patriots USA. So it's truly is a blessing. So, so what's next for you? you? You're working with We the Patriots. Uh, I mean, you, you always obviously did a terrific job when you were at the PGA Tour and CBS Sports beforehand. Uh, where, where are you going from here? Are you, you wanting to continue on on the advocacy route and doing stuff with We the Patriots, or are we going to see you back on TV or something like that in the future? What's what's kind of your your outlook of what are, the direction you're wanting to go, Taryn? Well, our show is debuting on Red Voice Media here in the middle of May. And um, so the show is continuing to grow. I'm building out a, a studio uh, at the end of this summer. So my show, we're continuing to go forward. So it's really a blessing that I can um, kind of forge my own way and um, basically start my own little media group with We the Patriots USA. And um, so that's been really neat. Uh, I... 
have now kind of transitioned into doing some investigative reporting as well. We have a very cool project coming out that um, I cannot wait to tell people about. I'm very humbled to be a part of it and to uncover some um, really shocking and important data that people need to know behind all of this. So doing some investigative reporting as well as, you know, hosting and producing my own show. And um, I also have a nonprofit ministry with my husband called Driving Disciples. And we have two golf and Bible study camps coming up this summer. And we're expanding to more camps next summer in 2024. And we're also working on curriculum books that we're going to be able to take this golf and Bible study camp and go nationwide with it and equip, pe- and equip people in 2024 to run their own golf and Bible study camps um, next year as well. So, And I have one more special project that I can't quite reveal yet, but it also has to do with, um, you know, releasing another another book. So I've become... I've become uh, an investigative reporter, a show host and producer and an author and a nonprofit uh, co-founder. So it's pretty cool. All the different places that God has me working. That's uh, that's remarkable. Certainly excited for you and the way things have worked out the way they have uh, in your future to see what's what's next. It's going to be great to see. Taryn, where can people see all what you're up to and and follow along and uh, you know sign up for the the camps and stuff like that. Where can people get more information? So uh, you can follow me on all the different social media at Taryn Gregson and uh, keep up with everything that I'm doing there. Drivingdisciples.org is where you can go to sign up for camps, keep on our mailing list for our curriculum books coming out next year, and to you know prayerfully give if you'd like to give toward our ministry. And then for my show, Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, you can check it out Wednesdays and Fridays on the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel on wethepatriotsusa.org or anywhere you listen to your podcast on Apple, Spotify, what have you. And then, like I said, coming up in just a couple of weeks here, you can catch us on Red Voice Media as well. Taryn, uh, appreciate the time. Don't be a stranger. You're welcome back anytime. Anything I can ever do to help you, uh, please let me know. I'm certainly excited about what you and your husband and your family, everything's going through and and uh, the uh, the next steps you're taking here. Appreciate you joining us, and we'll uh, talk in soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. You can find O'Connor Advisor Group online, OHGCast.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. He is also the host of the Coach Bo Knows Podcast, out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing? Doing pretty good, Tyler. Hey, I got to do a quick plug for O'Connor Advisor Group. We did something this past week that we haven't done in a while, and we're really proud. We helped a client of ours retire at age 56. This client, our new client, retired at 56, had met with four other financial advisors, none of which could help her retire. We knew a plan and were able to help her with a plan that most advisors aren't aware of, the tax loopholes. We got her accountant involved, and we helped this 56-year-old lady. She's retiring at the end of 2023 because we were able to show the strategy of how to get it done. So if any of your listeners or anybody you know is thinking about retiring early, they've got the means, but they're worried about running out. They're worried about tax issues. We can help you with that. And we know those tax rules like the back of our hands, and we'll be able to help you. So 
something we're really proud about. We did a big deal we've done for somebody, and we're going to continue to help folks that way. We want to be your partner, OAGcast.com, OconnorAdvisorGroup.com, for more information there. That's terrific. Bo, uh, the NFL draft in the books, uh, a lot that went on alongside the draft. Um, We'll talk about Lamar Jackson, his new deal coming up later, and and some of the other things that also went on. But first off, uh, what are your initial takeaways? Who are the winners and the losers from this draft? Um, As far as teams go, Winners and losers. I thought there was three or four teams that really did a great job. I thought the Eagles and the Texans are the the overall ranging winners, if you will. And and a lot of that comes from willing to do things that nobody else is willing to do. Uh, The Texans went hard, you know, making a draft, making a pick, making a trade to go up to the third pick and overall and to pick two and three. Um, I liked it. I liked it a lot, when I, especially when I saw the terms. Um, I thought the Eagles, I mean, they just keep going. And Howie Roseman, I think, is the best general manager in the NFL. He might be the best general manager in all of American sports. Um, he has the infinity gauntlet of Georgia defensive players now, and their team just gets ridiculously better every year. Uh, they were the two that I thought really won. There was a couple of others I think did really solid jobs. The Pittsburgh Steelers were one of them. I think did a really smart job. I mean, they went and got four their first four picks for starters all across the board. Uh, and in spots of need, and they got quality. They got need and at the right time. There was no stretching or reaching. But Detroit did really well. I did not like the second pick Detroit made in the first round. I get why, but I didn't really care for the player. Um, and at first, I didn't like the first pick. Then when they traded DeAndre, um, um, DeAndre, uh, oh, Swift, the running back, DeAndre Swift, I couldn't think of the name. When they traded DeAndre Swift on day two, that made sense, and that was the perfect landing spot for Hidden Hooker. So I thought that was a great one. And um, overall, I thought those were the teams I thought were great. Um, if you want to say an individual player winner, um, I mean, Bryce Young gets to go first. Uh, C.J. Stroud second. You know, there's a lot of talk that C.J. Stroud was going to fall down from two. There was going to be some different things going on there. Uh, B. John Robinson going all the way up at eight was a surprise and definitely a win for him. He's going to get a little more money than we thought. And then as far as a player who lost, People will say Will Levis because he fell out of the first round. I'm going to say the one that I think, even though he's drafted much higher, is in a worse situation is Anthony Richardson. I hate for him that he's going to Indianapolis. They're going to have the worst record in the league. They are good, and, and they're not a good team. And when I I was watching the draft and I saw Anthony Richardson go number four, I thought, look. He's the player that I would have taken, but I don't trust that franchise, that situation. And when I went and looked at the coaching staff and who is going to be working with him, I really did. I liked it even less. Um, what I'll challenge you to do is to go and check the coaching staff of the of the Colts and what they're getting in town. And then go look at Carolina Panthers and with the same, they're getting the same kind of talent. 
And you tell me which of these two guys is going to a better situation. It's far and away Bryce Young. And I, I Richardson's, if he's going to be great, which I think he has the physical skills to be, it's going to be more of his own than it is because that staff makes him better. I thought it was a terrible place for Anthony Richardson to land. Horrible. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm wrong in the long run because I think he's a special player. He seems like he's a great kid, and I'm root. I'm rooting hard for him. Just don't think it's a good spot for him as far as the team drafted. So you mentioned that's not a good situation for Anthony Richardson. Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles are still there, so maybe he doesn't have to start immediately, but still a, a disastrous team and Ursay arguably the worst owner in the league. Um, who are team-wise some of the losers in this draft? I know you weren't happy with New Orleans and Detroit had a bad first round, but they uh, ended yeah. pretty strong. Well, I thought Detroit's first pick, the um, Jamire Gibbs, Thought it was a reach, but then when you trade DeAndre Swift, it's not as bad a reach because it's a need now. Um, but the teams that I thought were bad, thought New Orleans was bad. I mean, like I saw someone saying they thought New Orleans in the top five. I don't think they were in the bottom five. They literally did not draft a single player on that team that I would have drafted. Uh, but they were really bad. Um other teams that stand out to me, and again, I'm just kind of reviewing this quickly. Uh, I don't think the Bengals had a very good draft. Um, a couple others in there. I don't think that the Washington had a very good draft. Those are the three that kind of jumped off the page at me. And 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 the one I thought had the worst draft was New Orleans. I just thought that – and look, I've been a Saints fan my whole life. I've, I'm, as I was just said recently, I'm off that narcotic. But I thought Mickey Loomis had the worst draft he's had. And I literally don't see a single starter they drafted on this team. Yeah. I get that. Um, you mentioned C.J. Stroud earlier. And I was thinking about this, Paul. Curious how, how you feel here. C.J. Stroud ultimately goes to Houston. And we heard all the rumblings in the weeks prior that you know, out of Texans camp that they had kind of soured on him. And uh, all those leaks that were coming from the Texans organization about doubts about C.J. Stroud. Um, and they still pick him at two. They end up trading up and get Will Anderson. Um, if you're C.J. Stroud walking into that situation, I wonder this, Paul. Because they picked you at two and they invested in you, they still – Turned in the car and took you at two. Is it water under the bridge? Or are you kind of watching your back a little bit? Are you wanting answers to who may have said those things? Like, what what is your approach if you're C.J. Stroud going into this now? I think it has to be water under the bridge because I think that you look at this and you go, well, they did want me. They took me second overall. They could have taken other quarterbacks. They You're not wanting to know the names that said things. No, I think it's no – because, and I also think when you look at things like that, sometimes people are putting out false information. I, I don't believe – when I hear the words reports are and there's no viable quote to go with it, 
No one's putting their name on it. I just tend not. I tend to think of it with a take it with a grain of salt. And it's how I feel about this. It's how I feel about CJ Stroud. I think that Houston had one of the best drafts of everybody. And I think it took big balls to do what they did. They got a quarterback who's going to be their franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. He may not be, his upside is not as high as Bryce Young. His upside is not as high as Anthony Richardson's. But his bust end is way above them both. He's a big guy. He plays quarterback in a more traditional way. What I mean by that is he's not he's a pocket passer. He's not a runner. Um, I think he's going to fit in well there. He's a first-class citizen. I know there's some talk that he was – he rubbed the Mannings wrong at the Manning Passing Academy. And we've heard since then Peyton Manning's come out and said that wasn't true. You know, that the Archie said the same thing. No, I just – we understand that everybody has a little bit of an ego going into these things, and everybody has who they are. Um, I don't think that – I think a lot of times people are trying to make a mountain out of a molehill or are trying to get their beliefs off by making this example. I, if I'm C.J. Stroud, no, it's it's all all forward. Don't even worry about the rearview mirror. Put foot on the accelerator and let's go because you're being handed the keys to a franchise. A franchise, if you look, is now in a really good situation with a coach who wants you there, a franchise that's not got a lot of uh, got a lot of pieces in place, but has shown the willingness to adapt and get pieces, and that they are really starting over. I said in the off season, if I were going to take one of these coaching jobs, the Houston Texans were the job I was wanting to take. We were talking about Sean Payton a few months ago. Where would he go? I said I go to Houston, and I got got laughed at on my podcast about it. And I said, no, think about it. You're going to get one of these quarterbacks. You get the second overall pick. You're going to have a good pick next year, which they don't have next year because of the trade. But they traded what was going to be probably a top 10 pick for maybe the best player in the draft this year. You know, would you do that? Yeah. They did. And they have salary cap flexibility. Once they show that they're improving, People will want to go there. I think that if I'm CJ Stroud, hey, let's move the forward. Let's just get this thing rolling. Let's see what we got for the next 10 years. Because we got us there's a there's a great situation. Plus, they're in the one division in the AFC that there isn't as hard a competition in. True. I mean, you're in there. Jacksonville's okay. I mean, Jacksonville can be good. They're a playoff team this year. They're probably the best team in that division. Tennessee doesn't look good. Indy is a train wreck. You know, if you're the Texans, there's a chance to make the playoffs. Right. And that's great. They improved that team by five or six wins. They're no longer picking in the top ten. So that trade now makes a lot of sense, too. Because there's no chance you get a player as good as Will Anderson at eight to ten next year. Right. What uh, what player were you more surprised fell? Jalen Carter to 10 or Will Levis to 33? Ooh, um, I think because of the amount of drop, probably Levis. I mean, I just – Jalen Carter wasn't going to drop that far. I mean, he, he didn't drop out of the top 10. He went to nine. 
But um, I'm surprised he went at nine. I thought by six he was gone. Um, I, I thought the first six picks were going to be the four quarterbacks, Anderson and Carter. For Carter to drop to nine was a little bit of a reach or a little bit of a scare. But Levis to drop all the way down to 34, the second round, the second pick of the second round, that tells me that that's the bigger drop. And I don't, I don't know. I think where he went's a good, a good fit. But I, comparing the two, I probably the more significant drop is the significant drop. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at the Carter thing. It was so interesting because, you know, it seemed like all signs pointed to Seattle getting him at five. They had the meeting with him a couple of weeks ago, brought him into the facility and. You know, John Schneider and Pete Carroll had nothing but positive things to say about him after everything that transpired. They had a big need at the defensive tackle spot, and ultimately they go with Devin Witherspoon. They went with Jackson Smith and Jigba and their other pick. And, you know, the Seahawks found the best quarter and the best wide receiver with their two picks. Yeah. Neither one were those two positions, positions of their highest need by any means either. I like that. That's to me like I looked at Carter, I'm like, he might be the best player in the draft, and it's a big need for you here. To me, that that said that they must have really been been scared by the, the some of these red flags here. They must have been scared with the off the field stuff, I, and maybe uh, Witherspoon. You, you can never have enough really good corners in this league. Um, so I get taking him. He's the he was the best of the corners in this draft, but um, I get it. I think the big reach. I mean. I don't understand how Tyree Wilson goes ahead of Carter. I don't understand how B. John Robinson went ahead of Carter. Uh, or even Paris Johnson. I mean, there's three guys there where I went, none of those three guys are better than Jalen Carter. And I get it. People are concerned about the off-the-field stuff. But it. I made this point on my podcast. There's no legality issue here. He's not been charged with a crime. He was in the wrong by getting in a car accident and there was some things there. But I think the biggest problem, and I, and I challenge anybody to think of it this way, people will say, well, he was kind of weird at the combine. He didn't want to take certain meetings. All right. Jalen Carter is a 21-year-old man. Right. Who just lost two friends. Two people he knew died in that car crash. You tell me a 21-year-old who just lost two of his friends two or three months ago, but it's going to be just okay now. Right. Then I think it got no credence whatsoever. This is a young man. Get him some help. Get him what he needs. Um, Again, he's not been charged with a crime. He did nothing criminal here. Did he make a poor decision to win the drive? Yeah, probably. He probably drove too fast. But to me, the part about, you know, well, he skipped this interview. He left the combine early. Look, he's dealing with some shit. Right. And for a 21, 22-year-old guy to be dealing with some shit of losing two of his friends, I think that's important to understand and give some credence to. Right. And that's why I think that's why the Eagles – are doing better than everybody else this damn draft thing. They said, hey, we realize this. We can make this work. And we're taking the talent. 
And the teams that do that over and over, who don't is who instead of looking for excuses not to take somebody, say, let's get the talent in here because we know who we are and we can help him. That's why those teams are successful over and over and over again. Right. And those three teams, well, I'll call them out. Seattle, I think Seattle a little less so because they went with the corner that's the best corner in this draft. Arizona, the Raiders, and the Falcons. Those are three places that could have easily taken and Jalen Carter to the Falcons makes a shitload of sense. An Atlanta guy, a Georgia girl, come on. That's three teams that went looking for an excuse not to draft somebody instead of saying we're confident in who we are to make that pick. Yeah. It's all good points. That that's I mean, there's not a lot of teams who have that confidence in themselves. The Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles do. Right. That's why Howie Rose was the best GM in football. He's Coach Bo. Uh, Coach Bo knows podcast. Joining us here for the football fix here on the Jones Sport this week. Bo, uh, one of the teams that stood out that's had a really good week, I feel like, is the Baltimore Ravens. Before the draft, they get the deal done with Lamar Jackson. And they got the deal. We've, we've been telling you, we said for a long time, they'd be happy to make him the highest paid quarterback in the league. They don't want to do the guaranteed money route. They would they would love to do the Jalen Hurts deal. Then come around, they get that deal done. Uh, that's the route that they go with. Lamar pivots and chooses that lane instead of trying to push for the guaranteed money lane. So you got that going. Good draft, say Flowers getting Lamar a weapon to go along with OBJ and Rashad Bateman and Nelson Aguilar and Mark Andrews. And then uh, Trenton Simpson was a good pick in the third round. Good value there, linebacker for Clemson. And then today... They signed Rockyson, the best corner that was available on the market uh, from the Las Vegas Raiders, who will be a good compliment for Marlon Humphrey. What a week for Eric DaCosta and company there in Baltimore after, before this week, had been a disaster of an offseason. Yeah, he's taking a lot of shots. And again, I, I think that I said this on my pod, and we just recorded my pod for later this week, and it's I said, I think that some of what the Ravens went through the last few weeks was having to take some shots for the league. Why it had to come down the last minute right before the draft to make this deal with Lamar. You know, Lamar knew that his options were going to be a little less limited, a little more limited after the draft. The Ravens also knew that they could, if they get Lamar in house, they can get their weapon. They did that with Zay Flowers. So I think it all kind of worked out well for um, for the Ravens. And the Ravens have done a good job here. It, I think more of, again, we read so much into wanting to do things now that we don't give it time to, to see how things spell out. Uh, you know, when there was the thing about Odell Beckham, you and I both thought that, man, he this could be Odell kind of playing things. Well, it turns out he knew something that was going on. He just wasn't going to admit it. Lamar makes the deal. I think the big part of the Lamar deal where it looks like he gave in, he doesn't get a fully guaranteed deal. He gets the big dollar amount, the big the big average per year. 
but he got a five-year deal. Right. And Lamar is 25 or 26. Uh, he'll be a free agent again at 30 or 31, which means he'll get a second big contract, whether with the Ravens or somebody else. So that was where Lamar gave in. And it was where the Ravens were saying, okay, well, we can make this part of the deal. And that helps us in the long run as well. So I, I kind of liked they came together and made the deal that was done, deal to be done. And yeah, the Ravens, once you get Lamar back in the fold and you bring in an Odell Beckham, and now you got to say Flowers, you already have Mark Andrews. Well, now your offense looks good. Right. You had a good defense. Let's add a couple of pieces. Um, I like the Tavius Robinson pick. I think that was the best defensive player they went and got in this draft. I'm not as high on Trenton Simpson as others, but I do like Tavius Robinson. Um, again, straighten up some things in the linebacking core, especially outside. You can never have too many pass rushers. Yeah. Especially in the AFC. So, yeah, I just – I think you're on to something with the Ravens. They're, they are improving drastically. I think part of it is – we give a lot of credence to what's happening today and not because we want the headlines today. Right. As opposed to saying, let's see what happens in two to three weeks. Let's see what happens in a month. You know, it all came to shape. And right, right about when we thought it might, right? The draft. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you get a good point. Um, the, uh, the fifth year options uh, where things kind of stand right now, those deals. Joe Burrow obviously was a yes. Chase Young, no. Uh, Andrew Thomas, Tua, Herbert, Derek Brown, all yes. Isaiah Simmons, C.J. Henderson, no. Uh, Derek Willis, yes. Makai Becton, no. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, uh, yes. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, no. Jerry Judy, yes. A.J. Terrell, yes. CJ or uh, CD Lamb, yes. Austin Jackson, yes. Or Austin Jackson, no. Clavon uh, Chason, no. Jalen Rager, no. <laughs> Justin Jefferson, yes. Ken's Murray, no. Cesar Ruiz, no. Brandon Ayuk, yes. Jordan Love, no. Jordan Brooks, uh, no. Patrick Queen, no. Um, Noah. Uh, Igbiani, no, and then Clyde Edwards Elaire, a no. Uh, those are what we know so far. Any surprises, uh, on who got declined and who didn't get, uh, who got accepted and who got declined on fifth years? Uh, the two that jumped off the page at me were obviously Jordan Love. We do know he signed a one year extension, he got, um, less guaranteed, but more in the one year. Yeah. So that happened since then. Uh, so that that, that under, makes me understand that one. Patrick Queen is the one that surprised me. I think with, with Trent Simpson coming in, that might be looking to move on from Patrick Queen. Yeah, it may be. And I think you may be right there. I I mean, that Patrick Queen's more of a safety to me than he is a linebacker. Uh, um, the Ravens have played him more in a linebacker style because they play so much of the five D-backs. Right. And so they use him more up front. Uh, but Patrick Queen, I think, is a really good pro. And then Isaiah Simmons was one that I think could have gone either way. Um, kind of surprised that it was a no for him. But, I mean, sometimes you just want to move on from a player. The player's not going to be a good fit. Or sometimes you're moving on, but you got to be talking to him about, okay, let's see how these things go. 
let's get into camp and see if we want to make this work for an extension. Well, then Jordan Brooks with Seattle. He was second in the league in tackles in 2021. Been a very good player. One of the better linebackers in the league. But coming off a torn ACL, uh, Seattle doesn't know what Jordan Brooks is going to look like. They, they can't risk that fifth-year option right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's – you know, that's the, that's the injury part of it. I mean, it's – it's tough. Yeah. Um, and then uh, a couple more things on the NFL front. Uh, a couple of veteran quarterbacks. Uh, Cousins says he wants to be in Minnesota. Uh, Tannehill says uh, the Levis pick, a bit of deja vu. Uh, what do you think about the future for those guys? Are those guys their days numbered here? I think Tannehill's is. I think Tannehill's a placeholder for, for Will Levis. Um I think the Will Levis pick was a good pick. I do. I think that look, you're gonna bring him in. He's not gonna start. He doesn't have to start off off the beginning. And if week ten, Ryan Tannehill's not playing well enough, you could go to Will Levis and be happy. Um, what it does speak to, and you talked about this off the air, it does speak to that the Titans' quarterback situation is pretty bad. They've had to go quarterback two years in a row, and really really just messed it up last year, um, which was someone we told him to stay away from, but they did it anyway. Um, he was the quarterback I didn't like in that draft. Um, but then also um, the other one being Kirk Cousins. Well, of course, Kirk, Kirk Cousins was to stay in Minnesota. How much money has he stolen from them already? <laughs> I mean, look, every time Kirk Cousins gets a paycheck, he's stealing money. He and a Derek Carr. Yeah, I, oh, I knew you were going to give me straight. Don't let me go there yet. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, he wants some guaranteed money. I, I think his days were shortly numbered there as well. Uh, I, if I was Minnesota, i got to be looking for a way to, to get him out the paint. But going to get Jaron Hall from BYU isn't going to get it done. Um, you know, that to me, Minnesota was a team that was picking late in that first round. They could have taken, or even late in the second round, could have taken a hand in hooker. Could have taken um, Levis or late, early in the, uh, late in the first. And by doing that, you get that fifth year option as well. I think that was a great location for one of those two, and I think they fouled it up not doing that. I think that's one of those teams that when those players drop, they should have been on one of them. Yeah, uh, a couple more NFL notes: uh, Randall Cobb joining. Aaron Rodgers with the Jets. Um, we already know what they have there. They were already loaded with weapons as is. Randall Cobb has looked bad the last couple of years. Um, so the, the the so-called wish list obviously was was a real thing, right? Yeah, it looks like it. You know, it's almost like Aaron Rodgers is like Adam Sandler. Hear me out on this. Oh, I know where you're going you with this. The Adam Sandler movie, it's all the same actors, right? That's what Aaron Rodgers is looking to do. Give me all those same guys. Like, the Randall Cobb is the Dan guys. Patrick of the New York Jets. Yeah, just give me all these guys. Like, you know, Adam Sandler has Kevin James and Chris Rock in all of his movies. And then, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to go get all these ex-Packers and bring them over. Um, it makes the, the old The irony, Rodgers... too, is the fact that he spent so many years complaining about them not spending money yes. on the position that's, players. That's exactly where I was going. It was... He complained about all these players and what all happened. 
And it was like, wait a minute. And now you're going to take them with you? Yeah. It, oof. To me, that's – yeah, I think I, mean, I don't think anyone's putting it together that he's the Adam Sandler of, of the There's NFL. a lot of irony going on. Him playing for the Jets for the Johnson & Johnson family too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting situation uh, in New York there. Yeah. Um, your boy Jackson Mahomes arrested. Oh, 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 yes. Have I told that story on here? I don't think you have. I think you were holding back previously. Well, well, well let's not do it today. We'll do it another time. We'll save that for another day. But uh, is is this good for Patrick to kind of push him? Now he has an excuse to push him out of the way. Hey, man, I, all I know is that it would not harm Patrick Mahomes for someone to, hit, to accidentally hit his brother with a car. I'm not saying I'm just saying. Um, Jackson Mahomes, you know, he got picked up and he's three counts of sexual battery and extra uh, assault or charge thrown in there for good luck. Um, at some point, I think we said this last year, doesn't some Patrick and his and his people have to sit these two down, Brittany and 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 and, and Jackson, and say, you're fucking with the brand. Look, they've clearly had the conversation with Britt. They said, look, your job is to run your soccer team, spit out babies. I know I sound sexist for saying that. I'm sorry. But, hey, look, I, it, she needs to play the good soldier. And she has, to her credit. A lot has changed with Brittany Mahomes in the last, in the last 12 months. And, and obviously, there's somebody had to talk with her. Hopefully, it was Patrick saying, Get it together, or you can easily be replaced. Um, Jackson Mahomes needs to be replaced. I'm an older brother. I have a younger brother. Now, I am not the $400 million quarterback um, who's going to be a billionaire at some point, who universally is respected and liked. Look, there is no better Wheaties box guy than than Patrick Mahomes. If you're not down with that guy, there's something wrong with you, not him. Okay, look, he's corny. I get it. I think he's corny too. But dude can ball. He seems like a great, great guy. He seems like the kind of guy that is friendly to everybody. His brother and what Jackson Mahomes is doing is absolutely ridiculous. At some point, this guy has just got to grow up. And you would think at some point, someone would, you know, whatever, and it needs to be Patrick, needs to come in and say, I got to cut you off if you're going to keep fucking up like this. You know, it can't be Jackson Mahomes, social media, when a social media influencer. It's always Jackson Mahomes, younger brother of Patrick Mahomes. It is going to get it to be a time. Someone doesn't like that anymore and says, Patrick, get your boy under control, or you're not going to be with us anymore. Right. And that's what Jackson Mahomes needs to figure out. Uh, look, I mean, I I don't even know where to go on this whole Jackson Mahomes thing. I just know that it seems like he's the opposite of what his brother is. His brother seems like the nicest, realest guy, just a, a kind person and a talented person. And Jackson Mahomes seems like the younger brother who 
probably secretly resents everything about Big Brother and is not trying to fuck things up, but wants to trade on his brother's name. That's what he's doing. He's trading on his brother's name. And he's basically small potatoes, this thing, while his brother is going to be a billionaire. Right. If you're Jackson Mahomes, there's lots of opportunity to be Patrick's brother. There's lots of opportunity for you to be a social media influencer. Don't be an asshole on top of it. <laughs> I mean, look, think about the things that Jackson Mahomes could be doing. The good he could be doing out there. But instead, he's trying to feel up women and kiss women in some bar. It, the tape don't look good. I saw it on TMZ just like everybody else. It don't look good. And he thinks because he's Jackson Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes' brother, that he can get away with being an asshole. I, I just don't – there's no words for me to tell you how I feel about this guy anymore. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, I'll be honest. I kind of laughed seeing his mugshot and him walking yeah. out of jail, you know, on a hundred thousand dollars bond and all that. Like, I got a kick out of that. I wonder who put up the hundred grand. Yeah, it wasn't pay. wasn't It wasn't fucking Jackson. I bet he don't have two fucking nickels to rub together of his own earned money. Um, one more thing, and then uh, we'll end on this. Uh. News came out this week. Big 12 is looking at doing a series in Mexico for football and basketball, doing conference games. Um, basketball series beginning 24-25 with a KU in Houston, more than likely. And then a football series starting in 2025. Uh, Bo, at first when I heard of this, I'm like, oh, great, really? Everybody's going to give up a home game to go to Mexico but then when you think about it, if you're a 12-team league, you're giving up a home game once every 12 years, really. I yeah. mean, like, for a Mexico trip, build your brand, build the conference a little bit, stretch out. Um, I, I think there's more good than bad, potentially, in, in earnings potential and everything out there. And and we haven't really seen college sports go that international. I know that the Big Ten kind of does a thing in Ireland and – the, the Pac-12 has done a little bit of a thing in Australia. I, I think there's more potential for this to be a good thing for the Big 12 than, than bad here. I would tend to agree. I, I This is the first I'm hearing of it, so I'd be interested to learn more about it. I think any time you can get your brand in front of more people, it's better. Um, and, you know, Mexico and, and in Latin American countries is an untapped resource in sports that – we're seeing tap football. You know, we have a we have a, a game every year now. The NFL doing a Monday night game in Monterey every year. Uh, Major League Baseball is doing a couple of games in um, Mexico City and in Monterey every year. You know why not? I mean, again, that's the kind of trailblazing thinking that you're going to have to have going forward. And I I don't see a problem with this. I think that it'd be cool for the college kids because. They get to, they're going to think about, oh, man, that's kind of cool. We get to go to Mexico for a game. And, and you get to travel. Maybe you get to see some things, do some things while you're there. So give it as a bowl game. I'd right. stick that sucker at the beginning of the season, though. I'd make it game one. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do it in the middle of the season. I would love that to be my first. Now, the issue is it's going to be hot. Right. It's going to be hot. Now, 
if you play in Monterey or Mexico City. They're talking about the football game being in Monterey. Okay, the game in Monterey will be – the only issue there is altitude. But if you go out there for a week beforehand and get acclimated to it, I mean, Monterey is like Denver high. Um, You know, it doesn't get as hot there. It's a little colder. No, I think it's a a good idea. I think the thing I would do, the thing I would want as a coach – I'd like it to be game one, just so I don't have to travel in the middle of the season. There's too many things that student athletes have to go through to make that travel happen. Well, in the basketball side, it would have to be the basketball side would have to be a Saturday, I think, and then your next game you'd have to be like a Wednesday midweek game or something. Yeah, I think what you do in the basketball wise is you do that during during a um, during the, the the holiday break. Yeah, to where you normally maybe go play some of these teams go play in tournaments. Kick off, be your conference opener, right? Yeah, you know, it'd be you were going to kick this off. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the way I'd go in that. Um, yeah, I think that I don't dislike the idea. I'd love to learn more about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun and be exciting to see uh, how that unfolds. And and you know, they mentioned KU and Houston seem to be the favorites for that first basketball matchup, football wise. Uh, I'm thinking locationally, probably Texas Tech. Maybe if the if the Arizona schools are in the Big 12 by then, that seems like an obvious thing. Arizona, Arizona State. Um, yeah. But uh, another one that seemed obvious to me too, BYU, with their big base. Yeah. And, you know, like I, I'm sure they would attract some fans down there. Yeah, I, I don't think it's about bringing your fans down there. I think it's about. And that's, and that's not what you're saying here. You're talking about trying to bring their fans down in Mexico. Right, right. Um, yeah. Selling seats, right. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting. I I think one of the advantages that the Monterey series has in football was the first year they did the Raiders. You know, the first year they did the Raiders, they've stuck with having one of those California teams. They've had the 49ers right. out there and the Raiders. The Chargers, and, right. Uh, yeah. Hasn't the, hasn't the Cowboys played out there one of those already, too? I think so, yeah. I mean, you get big names. Um, I think you got to use big names. I think that, you know, Kansas and Houston's big. Um, you know, well, it would have been perfect if you'd have kept Texas in the league for something like yeah. that. You know, a Texas versus Oklahoma game would have been huge down there. Um, God, a Texas-Oklahoma football game down there would have been massive. They weren't ever going to remove Red River down there. No, you never going to take it out of the Cotton Bowl, but all right out of, of – that weekend in Dallas, but boy, how cool would that have been? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, my, my only request, please get the turf right. We've seen so many of these international games can't yeah. figure the turf out. Yeah. Were they as bad? I'm trying to remember back to the NFL when this passes. Was it as bad this year as it was in previous years? I don't think it was as bad, but Germany was pretty bad in the NFL. Yeah. I knew that one was. And then, hell, there's people in the NFL that complain about Arizona. I mean, the Super Bowl the- was terrible. Yeah, the that was natural grass. Yeah, yeah, they slide that thing in and out to grow the yeah. grass, and it's pretty shitty. Yeah, Bo, appreciate the time yeah. as always. Uh, what's on the podcast this week? Hey, we are going to do a little wrap. Uncle Rico and I are doing a little bit of uh, wrap up on the NFL. We talked a little bit about the Mahomes thing. We've got uh, some other kind of cleanup stuff in those different sports, and um, just kind of jumping around to different ideas, different things this week. Little uh a little potpourri, if you will, around all the sports. I like it.
Looking forward to it. We do have one thing, Tyler. This is what we need to think about. Marinate on this one. We'll talk about it next week. Uncle Rico has a thing where he has said number one seeds are having a bad year in 2023. Yeah. If you look at the playoffs, you look at uh, what's what happened in the in the NCAA tournament, the NBA. The Chiefs, Chiefs were a one seed. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but, but since the, we're talking about all four in the in in the NCAA tournament, now we got both the hockey number one seeds went down, and number one seed the Milwaukee Bucks went down. Yeah. Not a good year for number one seeds thus far, and I I made the exception of okay, look, my LSU Tigers are number one in baseball right now. And they got to finish this job, so I go to Omaha. Yeah, unless it's football, because Georgia was fine, and and uh, you know the Chiefs and the Eagles obviously were okay. But yeah, yeah it's a good point. Bo, uh, we'll talk in next week. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you, Tyler. Final segment before we go. It's our Tom Fulry story of the week, where we tell you something ridiculous happening in the world and uh jose soto in for thomas bridges this week and uh he's standing by with uh tom fullery uh jose uh without further ado what do we got this week so today this week we got uber's most unusual lost and found which include a unicycle danny devito's ornaments and much more Ride-sharing service Uber released its annual list of lost and found items, including a Danny DeVito Christmas ornament, an ankle monitor, and a dog. (laughs) That dog! That dog! (laughs) (laughs) Uber's lost and found index, an annual list of services most commonly forgotten and most unique lost items, revealed the most commonly left-behind items during the past year were clothing, phones, bags, wallets, headphones, jewelry, keys, books, laptops, and watches. Wow. And apparently also a fog machine, ankle monitor, a fog machine. Yeah. (laughs) A unicycle. How do you lose a unicycle? That's odd. That's true. 16 ounces of fake blood. What? Must have been Halloween, maybe. A Danny DeVito Christmas ornament. Oh, and get this one. A fake tooth. <laughs> a pen depicting Jesus holding a slice of pizza. A lightsaber. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, a fake tooth and a single Gucci loafer. Uh, the index revealed multiple passengers managed to forget to unload their pets including a toy poodle, hamsters, and a pair of turtles. One customer's report of a lost and found item was particularly unusual. My self-respect. <laughs> Apparently, their self-respect. Uber's most uh, Uber said the most forgetful cities of the year were Jacksonville, San Antonio, Palm Springs, Houston, Salt Lake City, Miami, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, and St. Louis. Okay. So, so Jones, I guess the question I've got for you is what's the most unusual thing you've lost? Oh, man. Um, So, I can't say I've ever left anything in an Uber. uh, Knock on wood. (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> although I'm kind of surprised I haven't. My my number one fear when I get into an Uber, Jose, is losing my phone because I'm thinking to myself, if I don't have my phone, how am I going to track down the Uber that I left my phone there? <laughs> I always, uh, I always double and triple check that I make sure I leave with my phone in the Uber. You don't have an Apple Watch? I do not have an Apple Watch. I don't like to wear watches. Oh, man, you need one. That way you can track it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's that makes sense. Um, oh. But I'll say that, like, what I've left. Okay, here, here's, a, here's a story. So a couple of years ago, uh, I was uh, here in Dallas uh, visiting uh, with, with David, with David Starr, actually. I was at his house. And uh, uh, a friend of ours uh, was also there. We, we were getting together, several of us. And uh, I remember, so I, I go back to the place we're staying, and I couldn't find my wallet. And, and Jose already knows how I am about my wallet. That uh, I've lost it a couple times, as is. Um, <laughs> there's been stories about it. I, I no longer carry a wallet. I, I carry my the cards I absolutely need in a phone wallet. And so it's all in one place. So I, I, it's, I never had to worry about losing a wallet again for, for good reasons. But anyways, so I was at David's house. We're visiting friends and, and I couldn't find my wallet. I text David. It's like midnight or whatever, or one in the morning. Like, Hey, I got an Uber all the way back from Fort Worth to your house in Frisco before I catch a plane in the morning to see if my wallet's at your place and he's like okay i'll be up that's fine and as i get there it's like six or seven in the morning and i get there and he's like hey i, I he texts me ahead of time too he's like hey i don't think your wallet's here and uh i can't find it and i go over there still can't find it well then i'm going through my backpack jose and my wallet was in my backpack the entire time so i didn't need to go all the way to david's house <laughs> but uh i did leave a pair of shoes at david's house which i was about to throw away anyway i was getting new shoes just about to get new shoes so basically i went all the way over there and found my wallet that was in my backpack anyway and picked up shoes that i was going to throw away at some point so uh yeah that was uh, <laughs> that was an adventure that that was i guess that was my connection between uber and something i lost <laughs> <laughs> oh man well I, I i've never lost anything with an uber uh very fortunate um i guess the craziest thing i've ever lost i went to study abroad for about a week i didn't know you Europe. studied abroad yeah yeah studied abroad for about a week it was like a quick spring break kind of study abroad um went up there with a good group of uh classmates and the first place we got to was venice so venice there's a bridge you cross to get into the city and after that there's no cars around like that's it it's the rest of it you're walking or taking uh boat taxis so we took a picture as a group because the teacher's like hey let's take a picture we're gonna post it on our page make sure your parents see it that way they know you're safe so we take a picture, we proceed on with life. We get on a boat taxi to go to our hotel. So in the middle of the boat taxi, I'm just, you know, enjoying it. I'm just enjoying being in Venice, being with everybody, you know, talking about plans, what we want to do after, you know, tonight, you know, whatever. And halfway through the boat ride, 
I noticed my backpack was not there. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, did someone just steal it? So I turned back around. I went to the lost and found, hoping someone maybe turned in my backpack. Nothing there. I went to the other side, looked as well. Nothing there. So here I am, you know, without my backpack. And my backpack had, you know, some of my wallet stuff, like some, some credit cards. I had some other things within my backpack. And I'm turning back around. I'm going to go link up with, with some of the classmates to get some pizza and wine, you know, to drown out my sorrows. And all of a sudden, as I'm getting on this taxi boat, I hear explosion, like near the bridge where I crossed. Like a, like all this, there's a, there's some boat, ta- boat polices like pulling up, blocking any entryway, going in and out. There's like a, a quick boom. And you hear like a, a boom kind of like pop. And I was like, what the heck's going on? You know, I'm over here thinking maybe some terrorists or something. Like, you know, boat police have just pulled up. So I, I keep on going with the boat taxi, make it to the, you know, where everyone else is at. And they're like, hey, the teacher needs to uh, see you. He got um, he got word by your backpack. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, so I go to the hotel. So in the hotel, the teacher tells me that they found my backpack that the military had contacted them and apparently that explosion that was at the bridge was them trying to detonate my backpack thinking it was a bomb wow <laughs> so so that whole that whole thing that happened that whole scene with the boat police and all that and the military apparently showing up was all due to my backpack that I left on the bridge when we took the picture. <laughs> and, and so I went I went to the military area where they had my backpack with, with my teacher's wife because she spoke Italian. And, you know, she was kind of scared thinking that I might be, you know, some kind of court stuff because they take, you know, leaving things isolated alone for periods of time very serious. You know, it's a lot of things that happen in Europe. But luckily it wasn't. It was just uh, the guy had my backpack. There, It was an explosion that popped like the side pocket open. And then, you know, just doing a slight detonation explosion, hoping that it, thinking if it was, you know, a bomb, it would actually explode fully. But it didn't. And, uh, you know, I just had to sign an affidavit saying that all my things were in there and I was good to go. That was it. That's... Uh, Craziest thing I've ever left behind. That's crazy because, uh, like, I remember I, I was at a – when I was a student in Kansas, um, I had a, like, a, a little very small throwaway bag that had just a couple things in it, like some snacks or pens, maybe paper, very minimal thing. But, like, for whatever reason, I, I didn't have anywhere to put it. And I tried to walk in the Kansas game with it, and you know they wouldn't let me bring my bag in it was too big and so i'm like okay i'll I'll, you know there's no no one's gonna have any reason to steal my bag because there's nothing here worth taking i'll just leave it outside and i'll get it after the game well then i come out after the game and i'm like uh oh i guess somebody did take my bag and and i asked like security whatever i'm like uh well my bag that was here and they said Oh, the police actually took it. They, they they were suspicious and they destroyed it. I'm like, oh, 
Okay. Well, I guess I didn't need it.、Right? So, <laughs> was it?、Uh, did it mean anything to you, or did you have anything in there? No, like, I mean it was just fine. It wasn't. I mean, it, it wasn't worthwhile. It wasn't the end of the world. But it was like, all right then. Okay. I mean, straight up destroyed. <laughs> like when, when、uh, as media, when we go to these games and get.、Uh, You know, go through security and all that.、Uh, they they're always asking us to like open our bags. Like they don't want to open our bags. I'm like, I got nothing to hide. Just open the damn bag. You know, what I mean, <laughs> I'm a media member here. I'm not, a, you know, a, a terrorist. You know, like good. Yeah.、Uh, yeah. What I wonder on this, as we're kind of wrapping up here, when, when I go back and look at this, if some of these things that were left behind. Um, a Danny DeVito Christmas ornament, an ankle monitor, a dog. I mean, there's no way of these things that were left behind, Jose, that any of these people were sober. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Sounds like sounds like these things were left behind during a Halloween weekend. Like who who's carrying around like a, a fake tooth? Well, I guess everyone carries around fake tooth, but 16 ounces of fake blood, like really. That may have been something like I'm trying to get rid of this. Yeah, true. What、uh, about the Danny DeVito Christmas ornament? <laughs> just like hate Danny DeVito, I guess you know. I mean, <laughs> the city,、uh, Jacksonville.、Uh, a lot of crazy stuff can go down in, in Jacksonville.、Uh, a lot of crime in Jacksonville. San Antonio, Palm Springs, Houston. Houston sucks.、Um, Salt Lake City, I guess you know, like the Mormon crowd's not going to be out drinking and enjoying themselves. So everyone else is going to make the most of their time and need those Ubers home. Miami kind of explains itself. Atlanta, Indianapolis, now Kansas City, Kansas. That one caught my eye. Not Kansas City, Missouri, which is where people actually go and do things, but Kansas City, Kansas.、Um, the only thing that goes on in Kansas City, Kansas, is sporting KC games. And NASCAR races.、Um, that's the only reason you would ever need to go to KCK or or to eat barbecue.、Um, I would guess that some of the crazy stuff. There's a pretty decent chance, based on what I told you about Talladega, probably came from Ubers from、uh, from people leaving a NASCAR race there. <laughs> It's probably the、uh, the fake tooth. <laughs> That the fake tooth definitely came from a NASCAR race. <laughs> And St. Louis kind of explains itself too, you know. The, The, the fake tooth may have been because they couldn't,、uh, they didn't want to eat, you know that that awful uh, uh, pizza that they got up in、uh, St. Louis. The、uh, what's the awful、uh, St. Louis pizza?、Uh, escaping my mind here.、Um, oh gosh, it, it's it's so bad.、Um, let's see, St. Louis style pizza. Are you saying? Oh yes, there's a very bad St. Louis pizza, Emos. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, like that may have been a real tooth that the pizza was so bad they spit out their their actual. <laughs> <laughs> But no, no. Oh man,、uh, Jose, a, a pleasure to have you, my friend.、Uh, thanks for being here with us. Next week,、uh, you and I are going to be watching、uh, some live golf in、uh, in Tulsa next week. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I had a, such a blast being out there at the PGA.、Um, you know, hoping to expect the same for Live 
golf as well. And, you know, it's it's gonna it's always a good time seeing you here in town. So oh, yes. excited to see you. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Um, I'm always a good time. I'm the life of the party, you know. I mean, I, I bring, <laughs> bring the fireball and Dr. Pepper, you know, everywhere I go. Uh, but, Jose, what's different, too, I'll say this about the live events, is that uh, they have uh, music going on at all the holes at all times, kind of a party vibe. All the golfers are wearing shorts, which you would never see in the PGA Tour. And everyone's on course at the same time because it's shotgun start. So, I mean, within the 18-hole stretch, all at the same time, you're going to see every golfer. So, wow, um, that's 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 new. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be something else. But we're definitely so going to have a party up there. It'll be it'll be a four and a half five hour event, but you are going to see everybody. It's not going to be scattered through a nine or ten hour day like you would see a normal golf event. So. I'm intrigued to see it. Uh, we'll be all over that next week. Looking forward to that. Uh, Thomas will be back uh, next week. Uh, we'll wake him up, and he'll join us next week. So I look forward to that. And uh, big thanks to uh, you, the listener, for joining us. As always, subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, leave us a five-star review or leave us one at all. Uh, check out the Studio Soapbox Network, this show, Coach Bo's show. Let's go racing with David Starr as well. Uh, had a great show on, uh, on a David show this week. Country music artist and uh, former NASCAR driver Chris Lafferty joined us. So uh, check out that show. Even if you're an NAS- not a NASCAR fan, if you're just into good music, uh, not even country music even, check out that interview. Highly encourage it. Chris gave us a little performance on the show too. So uh, check that out. Big thanks to Taryn for coming by, sharing her story. Coach Bo as well. And uh, we'll see you all right back here next week. For Jose Soto, Brian O'Connor. Uh, as well as Taryn Gregson, our entire crew. Thomas Bridges as well. Tyler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another distant Jones Sport. We'll see you next week.